Well, welcome everyone to our second installment of CCW at Home, where once again I'm in an empty auditorium um, uh, talking to just the camera, but I know, and in my heart, as I said last week, I'm talking to you, to our CCW family, um, and to everyone who's listening to this by podcast later or watching this later uh, online. I'm glad you're joining us, um, and I'm glad that you get to be part of this exploration into the Word of God with me. We're in John chapter 11 today. You can start looking that up, John chapter 11, and the title for today's message is That Enemy Death, That Enemy Death, John chapter 11. While you're finding that in your Bibles, let me just take an opportunity to say to our CCW family, thank you. Thank you for the way that our CCW at home groups are so rapidly including extras into their mix so that nobody across our church family misses out on being connected. I know we can't cluster physically but if we're, if we're um, in these clusters where we're looking out for each other in those clusters, then we'll get through this time um, in healthy ways and really positive ways. And God will do amazing things through us as we're committed to staying devoted to Him and staying given to each other and, and being released together to the needs of those around us. And I'm so grateful for the stories we're getting uh, regularly now of our, our CCW family going out of their way to help um, strangers, um, people in their neighbourhoods, with resources and transport and um, you know, runs to the pharmacy and all sorts of ways that we're finding to help people around us. And it's just beautiful to see the heart of God at work through our people. So well done and thank you. All right, that enemy, death. We don't talk about death much um, in our culture, but in these uncertain health times like we're in now and the very real chance of mortality around us, uh, it's a helpful reminder to us This uh, passage from John 11, dealing with Jesus and his interaction with three great friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said... Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Why did he do that? Why did he stay two days? He loved this family, all three of them. Why did he wait? Well, let's find out. Verse 7. Finally, he said to his his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Uh, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Because Bethany, where Lazarus lived with Mary and Martha, was only a few miles from Jerusalem, less than two probably. And in the last chapter, in chapter 10, you can read that Jesus had retreated from Jerusalem after the Jews there had tried to stone him. So the the disciples, uh, well, I would do this too, probably you would too. Jesus, only a few days ago people were trying to kill us there and you want to go back there? Is Jesus' reply to that. Verse 9. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. What? How is that an answer to their question? Sometimes we think, gee, it'd be great if Jesus was just here in the flesh and I could ask him questions and, and follow him around and, and watch what he did and, and like have, you know, like, have a physical Jesus walking with me, um, that would make so much more sense of life. Well, you've only got to read the New Testament and these accounts of Jesus' interactions with his disciples to realize, no, 
No, it wouldn't be like that. These guys are very often confused. What is he? What's he doing? How's it? What? What? You want me to? What? They're just, they're often confused. This is one of those occasions. Jesus, do you really want to go back there where people are trying to kill you? And Jesus says, there's enough light in the day to do what needs to be done. It's only in the dark that you stumble. What? Now, we can see now, and lots of commentaries have dug into this, that probably what Jesus is saying is, guys, I'm living in the light of my Father's purpose. And, and we can go back into danger because this is God's purpose. This is what he has for me and there will be enough time and there will be enough power and there will be enough energy and there, and there will be enough safety for me to do the thing that God has called me to do, that my Father has for me. The purpose of my life will be fulfilled and it's when I walk in the light of that purpose um, that I don't stumble. It's only when I take my eyes off that purpose and stumble around in the dark that I'm in trouble, which is a, a good reminder for us actually in these days where we're kind of tempted to scrabble just to... Um, you know, uh, defend our lives, our health, our, our education, our, our well-being, our safety. And we need to be responsible that way, but we live for a higher purpose than all of that. And there will be enough, there will be enough from God for us, for the purpose that he's called us to. And we live in the light of that purpose. And when we stay in the light of that purpose, devoted to God, given to each other, at least to people around us, when we stay in the light of that purpose, um, we don't stumble. Anyway, he's going to bring it back to something his disciples can understand. Verse 11. And then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. In fact, Lazarus probably died before the messages even got there. It takes a day to get there, and then Jesus waited two days, and then took him a day to get back, and, Jesus, and Lazarus had already been dead four days when Jesus got back. So Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. But notice what he says to his disciples. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Can you hear all of the promises in this? At the start, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. There's a promise. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I'll go and wake him up. Um, Jesus said, um, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I wasn't there because now you'll really believe. And then Jesus says, come on, let's go and see him. See who? Lazarus. <clears throat> Can you hear all the promises in, in this leading up to this? Uh, verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, uh, or nicknamed Didymus, if you've got that translation, which just means the twin in Greek, because Thomas means the twin in Aramaic. There's nothing super significant in that. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, listen to what he says, let's go too and die with Jesus. <laughs> like The disciples are still back in the, Jesus, are you sure you want to go back there? Because people are trying to, kill you and Jesus has gone all these promises you're going to see something that's going to knock your socks off guys he's saying <clears throat> his sickness is not going to end in death I'm going to go and wake him up let's go and see him even though he's dead and the disciples missed all of that and they're just going oh boy he wants to go back into that dangerous territory let's just just go with him but we're going to die and I don't know if you do that I do that I do that when God says to me Danny risk that thing for me Go to that dangerous place for me. 
you know, like um, put something that you hold dear, really, which is just stuff in jeopardy for my sake. Take that risk uh, for me. And I know all the promises of God, or, or most of them, or a lot of them, or some of them even, for my life. That He loves me, that I'm already accepted, that I'm already valuable to Him, really valuable to Him, that I'm loved so much that He knows the numbers of hairs on my head and that my days are... are he knows. He knows. And He's going to provide for me every day of my life and He's going to take me on into eternity with Him and I'm secure and safe in His arms and I can cast all my anxieties on Him because He cares for me. I know all these promises from God. And when He says, Danny, I want you to risk this stuff for me, because something amazing is going to happen, still my heart, even if it sometimes my heart just goes, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that, God, because I don't want to risk that. Even when I obey, sometimes I have to do it afraid. I'm like Tom, Thomas here as he leads the disciples. Courageous Thomas here. Let's go. Let's go with him, but we're probably going to die. I don't know if you do that too, uh, when you get challenged to do something that's a risk for you. So here's the disciples. Well, Jesus, it's a death trap, but we're with you. That's okay. Jesus doesn't tell them off. They might be afraid, but they're still being obedient. So he's heading off to Bethany, verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. They'd come from Jerusalem uh, to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. So Martha heard Jesus was coming. She can't wait. She goes out to meet him before he even gets to the village. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Lord, if you had been here, can you hear the accusation in that? Where were you, Lord? I don't know the pain you faced in your life, but if you're like me, you've had times where your heart cries out to God. Where were you? Where were you, God, when that? Like if you'd just been, like, like, ah. This is a normal response. And notice Jesus isn't offended by this at all. And, and interesting too that Martha, even in expressing this pain, this accusation to Jesus, she still wants to dialogue over it. She wants answers. She says, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Can you hear the hope in that from Martha? This the sort of tentative testing of, is there still a chance that this might not be? Jesus told her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Wow, what a promise. Martha still wonders what he means. She puts the feelers out again. Yes, Martha says, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. See, Martha believes in the resurrection like we do. We know that one day all will be put to right. Jesus is coming back. All those who trusted Jesus will be made whole and healed and reunited with those gone before and resurrected to unbelievable life that goes on forever and ever. The resurrection is real. We believe it. Now, things die here. You know, people get sick or injured here. The marriages break down here. Emotions and spirits get crushed here. Hopes get abandoned here. Faith diminishes here. Relationships die here. There's addiction and abuse and scarring and pain and fear and death here. But one day, one day Jesus will return. That's the resurrection. Martha says, I believe in the resurrection, Lord, the one that happens later. Verse 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus says here, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't limit the resurrection and eternal life to an event that's going to happen some other time. That potential is me. That life is me. And I am here right now, Jesus says. He says to Martha, do you believe this, Martha? Can you hear the question from Jesus to us here when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life? I'm right here and death has no power over me. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus, in his resurrection power, is more powerful than death itself? Do I believe that his power is enough to conquer things that are dead right here and right now? My addictions, your addictions, that hold us back. The marriages amongst us that are dying. The relationships that are so stale or painful. Our health, our very life. Jesus has power over all of that right now. Do we believe it? You notice Martha isn't asked to believe that Jesus will do anything. He doesn't say, Martha, do you believe that I will raise Lazarus today? Because we can't make demands of God. We can't make him heal someone or deliver someone or fix this or that Martha responds well. Verse 27, Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. And this attitude of Martha here is a great example to us where she demonstrates faith that Jesus can do anything, even while recognizing that he might choose not to. Because we know, we know that not everyone we prayed for is healed and we know that not every person we pray for comes to Christ and not every broken relationship we pray for is restored sometimes this is incredibly frustrating and very painful it's possible and even likely that people we know will suffer through this coronavirus and we might even lose friends and relatives to this and i hope we don't and i'm praying for the safety of our people but the reality is i will i will lose this physical shell one day i will die and this body will, will have roosters used by date. And I don't know if it's today, tomorrow, or in, in 40 years' time. I don't know. But it'll happen sometime. And, and I can't promise that your body is going to be okay or that you won't get sick. I can promise that God's presence and power will be with us, carrying us as we go through the risks and joys and trials of risks and joys and trials of the months to come. We can't understand all of God's purposes and movements, but I'm encouraged by this passage to never in my own mind limit what God can do. We can't demand that he do anything, but we can believe in Jesus who is the life and he's here. When we're facing death, Jesus doesn't ask us to claim that he do anything. He just says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So back to the story, Martha's just said, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you're the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, the one who's come from God into the world. Verse 28, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. 
When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same statement as Martha. It's the same statement as her sister, but there's a difference. See, Martha initiates. She comes to meet Jesus. Mary really has to wait until she's asked. And Martha comes with, it with an aspect of maybe of faith, of questions, and Jesus dialogues over it with Martha and challenges her about her faith. But, but Mary, she doesn't have any of that. She's just too overcome with grief and maybe anger. She just... Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And she's wailing, sobbing at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, notice here, he doesn't tell her off. He doesn't offer her explanations. He doesn't challenge her to believe in him like he had to Martha. He knows words are no good to Mary right now. So he doesn't offer any. You know, in our grief, and you might have experienced this, in our grief, sometimes we're not, Words are hopeless. Words are no good. Words are unhelpful. And what we need, what we want really, is just somebody present with us. We just want Jesus present with us. Without words. And Jesus knows what we need. And I love this about Jesus. He knows it's too raw for Mary right now. And he's beautiful, Jesus. He gives us what we need. You notice he's called the disciples to follow, even though they're afraid. He's called Martha to believe, even in the midst of her grief. But in this moment with Mary, he makes no demands of her at all. And I think that's beautiful. Verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Now, in your translation, it might say he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And, and you might read that and think Jesus was really sad. He was caught up in the grief and, and the sadness and just this loss and this horrible, horrible emptiness of losing someone like that. And that's all in there. Jesus is experiencing that. But that's not what the text is saying here. There's lots of good words in the Greek for sadness and grief and emptiness and loss and things like that, and none of them are here. Um, these words here, the, the New Living has it much better rendered here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. This word is much more like outrage at death. Jesus sees this brokenness. He says, Mary distraught. Others with her weeping over the death of Lazarus. And this sense of, no, this is not right, wells up inside of him. <clears throat> A deep anger. It's like Jesus, the author of life, the life, the resurrection, is face to face with the brokenness and frailty of death in his friend. And he feels outraged. Outraged at death, this thief, this manifestation of our brokenness. Verse 34, where have you put him? He asks them. That is, take me to this enemy of mine. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. So here's Jesus moved 
the tears by the grief and sorrow of his friend's death, of a family's pain. This is not the only time that John emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. Fully human, Jesus experiencing the same emotions that we do. And he's in the middle of it. He's experiencing the grief and the suffering. He's not trying to escape it. In fact, he's just about to go to the whipping post and to the cross. We'll see there, see that in the next few weeks. He'll go there willingly, yet here he is in the middle of all that, experiencing that, but he's angry at death. Look, it can be so hard to understand why God allows so much suffering. When we suffer grief or, or loss or rejection or, or pain, it can feel like God has left us or abandoned us or he doesn't care about us or... or or he's disinterested, or even that he's causing it. It can feel like those things sometimes. And I know it brings me comfort. I hope it brings you comfort too. This picture that John gives us of Jesus standing in the midst of our suffering, standing alongside those who are just hurting and in pain, Jesus experiencing all of that pain and that grief, <coughs> excuse me, and that loss with us. And yet, in the middle of that, He's outraged at this thief of death and he's determined to do something about it. In this, in this case, immediately, but also ultimately for all of our sakes, he's going to go all the way to the cross to deal with this enemy of death. Back to our story now. Jesus is openly weeping. He's watching Mary sobbing on the ground. He's passionately moved. He's angry at death. Verse 37, some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus is still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. What an amazing story. Four days dead and Jesus raises him to life. Didn't I tell you? that you would see God's glory if you believe. Now, what about us? How does this apply in our lives? We've already seen one application of this, that when we talk with Jesus, we are talking with someone who has the capacity to fix anything, even death, right now, if he wants to. We don't know what he will do, but we never have to question that he can. So, we need never fear death because it's defeated in Christ. The power of death is gone. And we're going to look more at that across Easter. The second application is this. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. Lack of Jesus is death. He's always bringing resurrection and life to his children. I mean, things die inside us as we go through life. The brokenness of this world, damage from other people, for, for from our own sin too and our failures and our addictions and our broken or damaged relationships or our fear or our paranoia or our grasping selfishness. Death is at work in us. But if you're trusting Jesus <coughs> with your life, excuse me, if you're trusting Jesus with your life, he's living in you 
I want you to picture him walking around in your life, loving the good stuff, the places where you're trusting God, the places where you're devoted and, and given and released, the, 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 the ways that you are um, letting the Spirit of God take over your desires and move you in the, in the ways that God wants towards the people that God's calling you to. He's celebrating all of that, Jesus, as he's walking around inside your life. But now he comes to this cave in your heart. This cave that you've rolled a stone across. And what is in that tomb in your life? What sin can't you conquer? What addiction can't you stop? What's behind that stone for you? What what shame is buried there? What unforgiveness? What resentment? Who, who does Jesus want to love through you, but you won't? What cynicism is killing your faith? Jesus is stopped outside that tomb in your life. What's buried there for you? What fear is behind there? What is it that you cannot lose, that you will not risk, that has you selfish and grasping in desperation? What's in your cave of death? In your life. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. He is with us now. He is inside of us now. He is all around us now. Jesus is here now by his spirit. And he, he is outraged at the death which is robbing us. And he's moved to stand in front of these tombs in our lives and say, Take away the stone. And if you're like me, your heart goes, oh, no, that's, there's a reason I rolled a stone over there, Jesus. That shame is too deep. It's too hidden. That addiction is too entrenched, and I've tried, and I can't shake it. That, that guilt is too strong. That, that fear is too gripping. Oh, Jesus, no, don't touch that stone. It's dead. It's dead, Jesus. It's been dead for a while. And Jesus is moved, and he says, no, I want life for you. Take away the stone and you go no jesus it's been dead for a long time it stinks in there it's going to be terrible if you open that stone and he says take away the stone he says to martha as he says to us didn't i tell you if you believed that you would see the glory of god now my child i love you take away the stone And let my life pour into you, into that place of death. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we hear your call and we open our hearts to you. We want our stones rolled back. We want all that is dead within our hearts to be overcome by your glorious life. We pray that you would move us to trust your care of us for all our days as we step out in your love and power to bring life to those around us. Bring life through us. Bring life in us and through us to those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.